listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode 42 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Richard McKinnon, and I'm joined by my co-host, Pilar Ortiz. Pilar, how are you today? I am very well, and uh, nice to see you today. We've seen a lot of each other this month. That sounds like you, you think it's too much, <laughs> potentially. <laughs> no, listeners will be jealous. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, really? Uh, we, we see each other very rarely, and then it's like a glut. Yes. There was a lot. So, but that's great. Yes, that's, that's great. That's good. It's good. Yeah, it was a good month, May. And uh, and today I think I am well. Yes, it's uh, in the morning and um, it's a nice day outside. I've already been for my walk. So I think I'm energized and ready. Good, good. And as ever on a day when we were recording, I'm in my home uh, office um, and uh, I've managed to somehow get an awful lot done before we've started. So I'm feeling very productive, which is great, yeah. which is great. There's nothing like a deadline. Yes. So before we go into the, the main topic that we're going to cover today, which is all about this phrase we keep hearing, soft skills, um, as ever, some news and updates. So in terms of productivity news, we had our last personal development at work meetup on the 23rd of May, and it was all about prioritizing. And Pilar, you were there. I was there. That is one of the times, I, one of the two times I saw you this month. <laughs> and of course, Paul Smith from Wise Amigo is also there because you run this uh, together. And it was really nice after hearing him a couple of times on the show and seeing him on Twitter, etc. It was really nice also to meet him in person, in the flesh. It, it was a really fun evening from my perspective. I think we had a great set of conversations all about this concept of prioritizing stuff in life. Um, and I think, you know, the, those who turned up didn't think we were going to go into some of the topics that we did, such as values and making difficult decisions about where we put our energy into things, um, because prioritizing is often viewed at only quite a tactical level. How do I prioritize these emails or how do I prioritize these tasks today? And while we did look at that uh, in part, we also looked at how do you prioritize uh, in the bigger picture? And, and I think that went down well. Well, what do you think? You were there. You were in the audience. <laughs> yes, I think that's definitely the strongest um part for me and definitely the one that I tend to think less about and actually something that does help me uh, um, to guide some of my decisions is these these values uh, and and what do I want to be doing what do I want to be doing with my life <laughs> as, a, mm, as a freelancer mm. also I think a lot of the times I've had to pull back and go okay I've only got Let's face it, for me, it's not even a prioritization of the day. That's for me, that's quite easy. I want to prioritize what I'm going to do until I die. And as we get older, that time gets smaller. And I've really got to pull back and go, okay, I want to do all of this stuff. I can't write 
and really look deep at what is important to me. So I think that that was definitely for me the strongest. And like you say, we don't usually think about anything around productivity. We rarely start with quite quite looking in quite deeply into ourselves and even talking about values. Mm-hmm. They, they go uh, unspoken a lot of the time. Organizations maybe talk about their values, um, but our personal values are not something that we speak about openly. Some people do. That's not a blanket, no. But I know when I, I work on the topic of values with individuals or teams, it, it can be a little bit uncomfortable. It can take a little while to clarify this stuff for people. And, and it's not always clarified in the room, but people might take it away to, to finish off that kind of reflective exercise. And it, it can be both difficult to realize you can't do everything that you want to do in your life, even, you know, in a given year or a couple of years or, or given the work that you do. But it can also be a bit of a relief to say, well, now I know what's important to me. Um, that's the stuff I can emphasize and I can put my effort into. And this other stuff, it's not important to me. And a big takeaway from me was the impact of discuss- discussing decisions, prioritizing implies we need to make decisions. And on the back of those decisions, sometimes it's about saying no, or it's about ourselves stopping something that we have been doing because we've realized it's not important, it doesn't make a difference, or it's not as important and meaningful as this other stuff over here where I don't seem to be putting in the time or attention. So it can be both uncomfortable to realize we're not living up to that stuff but it does give us a bit of clarity so we can take action yeah oh decisions yeah if we prioritize one thing it means putting something else down the down the list if we have that list listeners episode 33 we looked at priority so if you've just joined us recently on the show check that out because it covers it covers everything that 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 we've been talking about just now and for me it was quite an eye-opener um in terms of the responses from people in the room and how they found that a bit useful to approach things from that perspective. So I really look forward to uh, the next meetup, which is going to be in July. We're skipping June because of holidays and workload. And then we're we're skipping August and then we'll have another one scheduled in September. And um, I'll put a link to that meetup uh, in the show notes. It is a free event, but we do need people to register and to sign up for the events so that we can manage space and liaise with uh, the people who host us uh, just on Old Street Roundabout there. And one, can I just also say hello to the people who are sitting behind me because we might have picked up some listeners from that meetup. Oh, yes. <laughs> I was right at the front yeah. and some people behind me were saying, what's the podcast? So hello. Yes, we did have a, a little discussion about my pocket psych at the very end of the evening. So um, I, will, I will look for this spike in listenership uh, going forward with all those extra, extra people. I think another thing, and, and we've touched on this before, but if you look at something like prioritizing what's going on in your life, it has implications uh, for other topics that we look at, like how effective am I in my role? Or what's the impact of this kind of prioritizing on my well-being? So just like some other topics, this is almost a badge of convenience because it doesn't sit in a neat little silo by itself, but it's a good place to start. And it's a better place to start, I might argue, than trying to copy some tactical behaviors of the person next to you, but really to start with your perspective 
because the person next to you may not share your values at all. And that's absolutely fine for them, <laughs> but it, it shouldn't be your starting point, I would argue. Continuing on our, our theme of productivity, it's now June and we started the year talking about having a productive 2019. So I, I want to ask our listeners, how is it going for you? We spent quite a few episodes walking you through these productivity principles. I'd love to know what you are putting into practice, what changes you've made, what kind of difference that's made for you, if any, what questions you're left with as a result. So please get in touch with us on Twitter. It's at mypocketpsych or send us a longer message, a longer question via worklifepsych.com slash contact. And there's a big contact form. You can send us um, a limitless message, I think, uh, via that route, because we do want to continue a focus on this and we'll revisit it as we go through through 2019. From your perspective, Pilar, has it been productive so far? <laughs> I don't know what productivity means anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Have I confused you? I, I am. I've just realized, you know, through all our conversations, especially these ones around productivity, I am such a systemless, erratic um, uh, planner that uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I, I don't say that. It's really interesting because I, I, I get through everything I need to do um, and. But I always have to stop halfway through and go, hang on, where am I going and what do I want to do? So I don't know. You know what I'm doing at the moment and what I've focused these first six months in doing is in finishing stuff, mm. funnily enough. So I'm trying to finish two books. I'm trying to finish a course I'm working on. It's all been about finishing and leaving stuff that I really want to get on with, just putting it to one side. So... How far, how, how's it going so far? How productive I'm being? I don't know. I feel like I'm moving stuff forwards, but I, I really need either a sense of completion or a sense of starting to feel really energized. So it's going okay, is my answer. <laughs> and you know what? That, that's a really reasonable answer because it's about your perspective and how it's working for you rather than here is my productivity score. You know, um, so I, I would ask that of someone to prompt a bit of reflection. If I think about what I've been doing differently so far this year, I've really been chipping away at my tendency to procrastinate about certain tasks and I leap on them or I try to leap on them as soon as they appear in front of me, because I know that if I do leave them for a little while, they may get mothballed and then it will be all hands to the pump several weeks later. And, and I'm doing that because we've discussed this concept of procrastination and the discomfort that can come with some tasks or even imagining ourselves doing the tasks that I'm, I'm trying to lead from the front. I'm trying to be a bit of a role model in that regard. Uh, not every time, it's not perfect, but I, I definitely um, can see in what I'm getting done that I'm not putting off some of these uncomfortable slash boring slash I shouldn't have to do it tasks. And what you've mentioned is really interesting. And, and sorry, listeners, but this is really a spark in my mind. Is you said how you procrastinate on certain tasks. 
mm-hmm. I think that's really interesting because a lot of the time we talk about procrastination in general as if we procrastinate about everything or mm-hmm. as if we're more like as likely to procrastinate on everything. And I think that's really interesting to really identify where that is creeping in and also look at the tasks that we're not or the things, not just tasks, but whatever activities that we don't procrastinate on. And what is it about those that that uh, attract us or how do they make us feel? Um, just to understand a little bit better how we operate. That's a really interesting uh, reflection. I, I don't think anybody procrastinates about every single thing in their life. And that reflection on, well, where don't I? Where am I keen to jump in and complete this or engage with this? I was thinking in, in prepping this conversation of an example, hmm, I can't remember how, maybe a week, 10 days, two weeks ago, the final episode of the last series of Game of Thrones was released and I was going to be able to watch it, but I wanted to avoid all the spoilers online. And I structured my working day (laughs) with such precision so that I was able to find the slot during the day to take a step out to watch that while doing some ironing. So I was being super effective there. But I came away from that with a real sense of, God, if you want to, (laughs) if you really want to, you can get these things done. And my motivation was one of, oh, I don't want someone else to ruin the end for me. So it's definitely not procrastinating about everything. It's about finding what the win is for you, how you will benefit from getting this thing done. Um, and again, coming back to, to priorities, um, how meaningful is it in in the scheme of things? Or how does it align with your values, how you like to see yourself, how you like to see you at your best? The 21st century workplace brings new and varied challenges. This means we need a new approach to work, but without the gimmicks or one-size-fits-all approaches. Pillars of productivity is just that. A new kind of productivity training for professionals. No inflexible rules or systems, just a pragmatic approach to getting more of the right things done in the right way at the right time. The course can be delivered in-house across a single day or four two-hour sessions or online at a self-directed pace. To find out more, visit worklifepsych.com slash pillars of productivity. Moving on to well-being news. Um, I'm uh, speaking now, listeners should know we don't always record these just the day before they go live. So given a time lag, I'm mega confused. But where we are today, I'm going to be traveling to Glasgow to speak at an event uh, organized by the SPDS, which is the Society for Personnel and Development in Scotland. It's a professional HR membership organization. Uh, and I'm going to be giving a, a talk on evidence-based well-being interventions at work. Uh, I spoke at their annual conference in November last year all about the topic of psychological flexibility and conversations I've had with members since have illustrated that you know quite a few people had some light bulb moments uh, about their own well-being and so they've organized a, a focused well-being morning and I'll be speaking at that and I'm going to be talking about how to be a little bit more evidence-based when it comes to introducing well-being initiatives um, starting with how do you know you've got a problem all the way through to 
how do you know if it made any difference, but also looking at some of the things that the HR professionals in the room might like to try to explore improving their own well-being and their own resilience in the workplace. So as you know, I, I love these topics. I'm really looking forward to, to speaking at that. And um, I will let you know how it goes. Well, it sounds really fascinating. Yeah, I'll, I'm really interested. Good, good luck. And <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So as ever, my main challenge will be getting there um, based on transport, but that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic. Uh, and I came across an article in The Guardian, and I don't know what I feel about it, but let, well, I, I kind of know what I feel about it on a couple of levels. I've, I've shared it in, in our show notes, uh, Pilar. Yes. Um, the, the headline, um, and it's from Monday, the 27th of May. The headline is Disrupted Sleep Patterns Can Lead to Deviant Behavior, Research Suggests. What do you think of when you hear the phrase deviant behavior? Oh, it sounds really awful. Like really... Doesn't it? Yeah, like like well, like everyone's becoming criminals. <laughs> yes, it sounds really awful. Um, but actually what, what it goes on to explore is you know, sleep disturbance ensures that we're not at our best in the workplace, but it also makes a really good um, point here about the difference between this notion of morning and evening people, and if they're working together, the view they take of each other. So if your manager is a morning person and, and you're an evening person, they may view, it, view you as less competent because it takes you longer to get going during the day. And some of your work, some of your focus, some of your productivity may be invisible to them because it's potentially after hours or towards the end of the day. Uh, my main takeaway from reading this was not that there's a recipe for success, but more that managers in particular might want to reflect on the assumptions they're making about team members, productivity or engagement with the task or what they're deriving from witnessing people stumble in a little bit late or taking a little a little time to warm up in the morning because if we're focused on outputs and they're doing a great job is it essential that they are in sync with you as manager uh, there's possibly a lot of diversity within a team anyway as to when people hit their stride and do their best work so rather than um you know a little bit of sleep disturbance will turn you into the office psychopath. I think it's much more about uh, sleep disturbance is bad for you and also heighten your awareness of when other people uh, hit their stride during the day because of their morningness or their eveningness. Yeah, I think that's really important, um, not just for managers, but I think also team members when you're working closely with other people, just to have that awareness that we've got different times during the day. Also, when you're thinking, when you're working with them, even quite closely, some people might have uh, might find it more difficult at certain times of day, and that might feel like they're not engaged, like they're bored, or or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that reminding ourselves of that, I think it's really important. Um, I think you recommended or you talked about a book by Daniel P called when yep which i am reading right now and oh are you yeah, okay and to be honest it's going on a bit too much about the, the problem with uh, teenagers which is a big problem the fact that really their bodies are not designed to get up so early so he's really advocating for that but if anyone is interested he touches on this very thoroughly on how um not not lack of sleep because that's not the focus but how the different times of day affect how we perform in all sorts of ways. I am amazed at the amount of mm. research that is backing this up. And that impact on performance 
as as calculated uh, from professional sports people all the way through to the average person doing an average job. It's amazing. Um, and those small differences in hours can make a really, really big difference. Um, I enjoyed reading that. And I'm, you know, I'm fascinated by this topic of, of sleep anyway. And it comes up a lot in conversations when we look at well-being. But I, I think awareness of difference is, is really important. And, you know, to be sensitive to that, especially if you're a very morning person and you come in all guns blazing, uh, trying to get things done with people who are not morning people. Um, it might might require you to adjust your style or your priorities or you do your stuff, come back to them a little bit later. So listeners, this article is really interesting. Let us know what you think. It's called, um, well, Richard will put the link in the show notes, but it's disrupted sleep patterns can lead to deviant behavior, research suggests, if you want to Google that quickly in The Guardian, because there's other stuff in there as well. So it'd be really interesting to to hear from your listeners. Worklifesite.com yeah. for long form comments. Now, Pilar, you shared a link with me referring to a bliss station. I love this concept. <laughs> okay, I'd love to hear more and because a bliss station sounds blissful. delightful. <laughs> it sounds blissful, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> um, so I came across the concept uh, in a podcast I was listening to, which is a very interesting show where they read these business books and then summarize them in half an hour. So that's great. And it's called uh, What You Will Learn. And they were talking about Austin Kleon's book, Keep Going. And Austin Kleon, he, his, his, um, his readership is mainly artists, so people in the creative industries. But this is a video that he's done with Dan Pink, funnily enough. <laughs> from uh, okay. yeah, It's interesting, it's parallel. And um, yes, and I love this concept of the bliss station, which is a place or a time and I love the fact that it's either a time or a place where you go to reconnect with yourself and disconnect from the world. And in the video, which is about three minutes long, they tell you how you could practically do that. And I think, well, yeah, uh, okay. But I, I love this idea of finding a time where you just go to be with yourself. And I love that they've called it a bliss station because it's about finding happiness for me or finding just this content. I don't know. It's got a very positive connotation of saying mm. you spend you, some time and go, or go to a place where you can just be with yourself and and reconnect and this will bring you some joy. I think that that's the idea. They talk about finding that place to do some creative work. I think for me, just that concept doesn't, without a purpose, I think, just with that sole purpose of finding that uh, connection with yourself is really interesting. And again, the fact that they say it could be a time or a place. You don't necessarily need to go anywhere. You can just say the next mm -hmm. 15 minutes are my bliss station moment. Well, now I'm going to have to reflect on that for what I can do for myself. I know I've explored a similar concepts on stress management and stress awareness training, where you can develop a link with a physical place that is for relaxing or for calming down or for just taking some time out. And it might be, you know, going out to the, the gardens near your office or going to a park or, you know, that, that kind of thing. And it's building that association. Um, but the idea that you proactively do this 
to have some more me time and me focus and and meaning is really really nice so hmm before we speak again i'm gonna i'm gonna see what my bliss station might be i think it's great you know i found a bliss station over in the mediterranean it's a bit far but i've got it there for longer periods of time but i think also i i like finding the the time during your every day to to dedicate and make that a, a priority at some points um, something I really liked on the video is uh, they they say, well, how they say you do, one of the ways in which you can do this is by turning your smartphone into a dumb phone by putting it in airplane mode. And I thought that was quite funny there. Turning your smartphone into a dumb phone basically by disconnecting it from the internet. So anyway, some yep. humor there for a... <laughs> no, no interruptions, no notifications. I've just realized that one of my uh, bliss stations is on the 37th floor of the... Hilton, Tokyo, and Shinjuku, but uh, that's not something that I can I can go to uh, that regularly. So I may need to find something a bit closer to home. Thanks for sharing that. At Work Life Psych, we believe that coaching is for everyone, and so we have created a cost-efficient, flexible, and impactful solution we call Coach on Campus. This means coaching can be made available to more junior employees, emerging talent and technical specialists within the organization without incurring the cost or commitment of executive coaching packages. A work-life psych coach is based on the client's site on a regular day each month with a schedule that is dedicated to that organization. We'll facilitate six one-hour-long coaching sessions throughout the day. To find out more, visit worklifepsych.com slash coachoncampus. Okay, so let's move on to our main topic uh, this time around, which is all about this notion of soft skills. And it's probably coming across in my voice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not a massive fan of this phrase, soft skills. I mean, what are soft skills? What do, you, what do you think, Pilar? What, what would you list as some examples of soft skills? Well, it's the uh, it's always been referred to anything that, uh, that I suppose that <laughs> I know what they are. I'm trying to to uh, f- figure out where that term came from in the first place. For a start, it uh, it, it pretends that they're not hard and supposes things like talking to people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Anything anything that involves people, actually, I think, Richard. Yeah, I think there's a there's a theme running through discussions of uh, soft skills that it's about the interpersonal aspects. I think one of the unintended consequence of calling them soft skills is that it implies that they're either easy or less important than the hard skills or the technical skills. And sometimes they can be undervalued or treated in a way that's a little bit tokenistic. And if you think about how much time might be dedicated to training someone up in technical methodology versus how much time might be dedicated to developing their capacity to work well with other people, um, in some organizations, it's phenomenal. It's fantastic. It's really emphasized. It's not universal, though, is it? And, and, um, you know, in, in my own career, I've come across lots of examples where the soft skills training for example is a little bit here a little bit there it's tick the box now now we've covered off those soft skills and they're viewed with a little bit of derision 
So what I wanted to do was maybe talk about this a little bit more and um, get feedback from our listeners to see if they hold the same view, because this is definitely not a scientific view I'm espousing here. I'm just maybe sharing some of my own frustration. I try not to use the phrase soft skills when talking with clients or prospective clients, but invariably they're mentioned. And, and I try and indicate that I would prefer the firm, uh, the, the, the phrase effectiveness or professional effectiveness or interpersonal skills or, or self-management, you know, how you uh, manage yourself and your emotions and your communication in, in different situations. I think the language used implies that it's maybe less important or it's easy or that because it's less important, maybe if your soft skills aren't as polished, that's okay because you have the technical skills. And that has implications for talent management as well, not just the day-to-day experience of the workplace. I think it comes from from a time when maybe work was structured differently. So you didn't need to interact so much with people to get your work done. And therefore, technical skills, like you say, were essential, whereas everything else wasn't. So I wonder also whether there's a legacy of of mm. that. Um, I love mm-hmm. the term interpersonal, and I think it it, it describes all of them, like every all the the list you've I've got in front of me <laughs> from you, Richard, mm-hmm. and anything else that I can think of referred to as soft skills. I think interpersonal. Well, I suppose there's also that element of of self. Um, yeah. Mm, mm. I, I was trying to think in, in preparation for our discussion of roles that don't require these skills for someone to be successful. And I was even thinking of roles where someone might work in isolation. But of course, the um, intrapersonal Mm. is as important um, as we've spoken about before, how you deal with your own thoughts and your emotions, your frustrations, your excitement. You know, these are soft skills because they they will have an impact on your job satisfaction and on what you pay attention to and on your general productivity and outputs. And, and it may be that they haven't been touched on at all. I know when I raise the topic of emotions with groups, it's a little bit uncomfortable sometimes because we don't talk about those, but we all have them critical to understand where they come from and what you might do with them when you experience them. Um, but I've, I've been approached by people over the last few years, you know, have you got a brochure on your soft skills training? And that's, you know, I, I have an answer to that, but I don't, I don't really like having those kinds of conversations that there's a checklist of things that if you deliver them, people will then have these so-called soft skills. I think it's about contextual appropriateness and contextual validity what's required here in this role in this culture think of the difference between your average knowledge worker who's office-based who um, is dealing with information in an open plan office versus someone say in a retail environment and what's required of them from an interpersonal perspective there. An awful lot of human interaction, um, maybe a lot of unpredictable human interaction and different roles being played and different expectations on how someone working in a retail environment might respond to a difficult customer versus how someone in an office environment might deal with a difficult colleague uh, down the corridor. But I see the relevance of them everywhere. I just don't think they can be neatly boxed and neatly siloed in the way that you could potentially um, categorize technical skills 
and see their relevance um, for, for role success in the same way. I suppose it, 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 it requires real understanding, as you're saying, of the context in which the individuals are performing the work and a real understanding of where the interactions are. Um, and, and also how, I imagine also how the technical skills might be overlapping with the intrapersonal and how they can be affected. Because I imagine, I mean, I don't have an example right now, but I imagine that there, there might also be, there might be an overlap. The, the one I, I, I identified was email. Mm. Um, you know, you, you can be taught how to send an email using an email application. It's a whole different mm-hmm. um, thing to send a helpful or impactful or well-crafted email. As we all know, when we look in our inboxes, lots of them have to be sifted through almost as if you know, we were Indiana Jones looking at hieroglyphics, like, what do they mean in this email? I've received it. They've successfully sent it. But the interpersonal aspects, they haven't really thought about my perspective or my context, or it's full of assumptions. And that's a whole different thing, isn't it? It's the how you use the technical skills. And in that way, you could argue that they sit above them. Uh, in one sense. If you have those technical skills, these interpersonal skills will have a big impact on how successful you are at using those technical skills. Um, you know, and I, I, as I say, I couldn't think of um, any examples. I'd love to hear from from our listeners if they've got examples of roles they've either had themselves or they they know very well where they think actually these interpersonal skills aren't very helpful uh, don't don't really see them as being relevant um but if you think about how, what we need to do um in a given day at work we are communicating with people of various categories various types we're, we're managing the relationships that we have with other people we might be doing that proactively or we might be reacting to disappointments in that relationships or, or setbacks. Um, we influence other people. We have to sometimes explicitly negotiate over resources. Um, for all of you out there who are managing people, a lot of the skills of management could fall into this category. If you want to coach people for, for skills, for performance improvement, giving feedback, dealing with disagreements and, and conflict, by no means a finite list. But once you start thinking about it, um, I think there's an awful lot that could fit in this category. And, and so I want to start people reflecting about their use of this phrase. If you use it, maybe you abandoned it years ago. Maybe you're light years ahead of my thinking. <laughs> but what is the impact of calling them soft skills and treating them almost as a checklist? It's also difficult to know when you've mastered them. So mm-hmm. a, a technical skill is much easier to track. And usually there is a point where you can say, well, I'm doing this at this kind of level, but it's really difficult to master these uh, skills. And also what works in one context might not work in another. So that's another skill. <laughs> Precisely. I mean, knowing, knowing how to use these interpersonal skills. But I think you make a great point that you might sit professional exams in project management and you know how good you are at those things, uh, at those technical skills. But unless you get great feedback or unless that these um, interpersonal skills are somehow encoded in a competency framework in your organization where you're getting feedback specifically about them, you may not know Maybe until it's too late. Maybe you're surprised. Uh, maybe you get quite far in in a role, 
And then you get the feedback that you've got a lot of work to do in that area. And so when giving feedback to people, it's, it's really key to think about these as well as the execution of the tasks in the role. I think it also um, illustrates the importance of stopping and just pausing and reflecting and uh, checking in with yourself because the, you have to create those touch points. <laughs> to, mm, uh, mm. And, and sometimes uh, the work does not allow for it or we are unable to get as much feedback as we'd like. Um, and it's just, it's finding the moments where we can think deliberately about these because we, yeah, because the benchmarks uh, are not as clear. And it's the difference between I successfully, you know, delegated those tasks or, well, did I delegate them with those individuals in mind? And uh, did I do it in a way that leaves them with a good impression of me and how professional I am? Or, or did I treat them as very simple tasks to be crossed off my list because I'm really not paying attention to that and I've got too much to do? And, and of course... Our, our capacity uh, to deal with our emotions effectively and to deal with other other people effectively, um, that capacity is impacted by pressure and stress. So, you know, knowing how you are relating to other people and reflecting on that and, and thinking about the impact you're having on other people with your interpersonal style is a big part of this. And I don't think it's enough to periodically apologize to everyone for your behavior because you were busy, rather that organizations could hold these as being just as, if not more important than some of the technical skills. I think there's a, there's a few things that w we could do um, about this topic. I, I'd encourage everyone to think of different ways to describe soft skills. Um, one phrases that work in your organization, for example, and they could be filtered all the way through to how you hire people. And, you know, if you can think about it, a job description, it might have a whole list of qualifications someone might need or, or technical abilities they might have. And then there might be one bullet point you know, good with people or effective soft skills, you know, be, be more specific about what that looks like. And if it's encoded in a competency framework, then those skills can be explicitly and separately called out for assessment. And that means that we need to do that as part of job analysis and job analysis is often forgotten. You know, we're, we're not pulling out the, the critical components of success in a given role. And then, of course, we need to think about how important they are if we're promoting for supervisory or, or management roles, not just looking at um, very easily measurable success factors such as a, a sales target being reached, but also how people relate to people in the workplace and how sustainable that working style is. Um, and then how it's reflected in how the organization makes decisions and how it communicates what it's about. So are these interpersonal skills reflected in um, the, the competencies and the skill sets and the training available and the, the time and the attention paid to them? Um, are they reflected in the values uh, of the organization? So just a few sort of jumping off points for people to, to reflect on. Do you think, in all honesty, you give the, the due time and attention to these skills, given how important they are. And, and, and if you do, if you think you're doing a fantastic job of this, I'd love to hear from you. We'd love to hear from you um, so you could share your story. And if you want to send us a bit of information, we'd be really happy to share it um, and maintain anonymity. Or if you'd like to come on the show and tell us how you're doing a great job of this, 
I would love to interview you. So get in touch with us via Twitter at uh, mypocketpsych or via worklifepsych.com slash contact to tell us what you think about this concept of soft skills, uh, how you're putting it into practice, uh, and maybe what questions that you have about it. And if you can think of a role that doesn't require them at all, because I'm stumped. <laughs> no, that's really great. And also I was thinking, and, and which ones do you think are more important for your role? Which ones do you, are you thinking of developing? Which ones do you feel stuck in? Which ones do you feel you have improved on? Because, of course, within those soft skills, there are so many. And at different mm. pa uh, parts of our life, maybe we pay more attention to ones than others. Absolutely. And as we talked about in the meetup last time, you know, one of the key skills around prioritizing, which could arguably be called a hard skill or a technical skill, it is potentially the interpersonal skill of managing others' expectations and saying no because you've decided what's important and what's not important. That's a skill. And that is not soft. <laughs> well, it's not easy. <laughs> But you know what? There's, is, is there a checklist for that? I, I don't think there's a one-size-fits-all checklist, but it could have a big impact on um, uh, how effective you are in the workplace. If you can't say no when it's the right time to say no, that, that leads to being overwhelmed, overworked, and stressed out. So, you know, do we encourage people to reflect on that and, and do that in a good way, in a sustainable way that will not damage the quality of the relationship? So we've come to the end of another episode, uh, episode 42. Um, we'd love to hear your feedback. We've explained how you can get in touch. We always love to hear from our listeners. We can see um, week on week, month on month, listenership is continuing to go up as I check our statistics. Um, We rarely hear from people, so we really would love uh, to hear uh, just why you listen, where you're listening, what you're getting from it, what we could do better, uh, what I could do better, um, and what you'd like to hear more about in the future. So, so do get in touch. Until next time, Pilar, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you to everyone out there for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com/contact. Thanks for listening. <laughs>